I'll ever be. All right. Hello. It's uh, nine in the morning. I got my coffee. It's time to record our next edition of the March Madness Bracket for 2019, which we're doing, of course, video game franchises. Yes. We already went through Nintendo and Sony, so Mm -hmm. if you want to listen to how we ranked those. Yeah, in a a decidedly less morning voice, you can have those. Uh, But but today we're uh, doing early, and uh, that means... It's time to talk about Microsoft. Yes, it's probably good that we're doing this early because there's a whole lot to talk about Microsoft. The company, <laughs> uh, well, the company is founded like in the '80s, but Xbox, as we're pertaining to, was only around since like the 2000s. So yeah, the first Xbox came out in 2001, mm-hmm. um, and they've been in the industry since. Uh, but they've made, and at certain points during their tenure, they have made it a point to come up with first-party franchises. So there are some. There were a couple of instances uh, with the Xbox and the Xbox 360 where they really went hard with first-party releases and making deals with companies to make their properties appear exclusive. The Xbox One uh, has been a little bit of diff- little bit different of a situation. Like some of those franchises came over, but not a whole lot of new franchises debuted. And now we see a new Microsoft that is instead of focusing on exclusives is now focusing on getting their services everywhere. And so largely it looks like first-party exclusive is a kind of dead term to them. They're not as big on it as they used to be. Well, we noticed this in the past E3. Mm -hmm. Well, the previous E3 where they announced a bunch of exclusives, and then slowly over the course of the year they kind of dropped off. But instead of picking up new IPs, they instead picked up new companies to sign on to their Microsoft exclusive deals. So yeah, so this list, um, I think we'll be able to come up with just enough, uh, but there, because over the years, I do think that they've had enough properties where we can discuss. Yeah, and I think we'll start right at the top mm-hmm. with the one thing that basically defined the Xbox, because yeah. there's no way around it, so we might yeah. as well go through it. it. We're going to go through it. Okay. The big O shaped in the middle of the Xbox. Oh, Gears of War. No. <laughs> no. We'll get there. We're talking about Halo. Yes, the big O in the Halo, that is Xbox's Yeah, this has Halo to be franchise. the first thing we talk about because it's the most identifiable brand as Microsoft. Just like when we did Nintendo, we started with Mario. And just like with Sony, we started with Crash Bandicoot. Mm-hmm. With Xbox, you have to start with Halo. Because it basically defined the Xbox original, because I can't say Xbox One now. Right, yeah. The original Xbox. Yeah, it basically defined the original Xbox and defined shooters in general. It did, yeah. It was the game that basically established, here are the rules of a console shooter. Like, people had tried console shooters before, of course, GoldenEye, Mm -hmm. but they were always hard to control. They were always used logic that was borrowed from the PC shooters instead of created whole cloth for consoles. Halo changed that. Bungie actually took the time to be like, what would actually work in a console controller in a console environment? And they created a play scheme that still continues in shooters today. Like, so you were talking from 2001 to current day. So 18 years of shooters have been influenced by one game basically laying out the ground rules. Um, so yeah, I think positives, you can, there's a lot of positives about Halo. It has a eager fan base, even to now. Um, it's a continuing franchise, it, even though Master Chief's story has ostensibly ended. There, it's such a large sci-fi universe, and there's novels and short TV shows about this thing, that they can go all sorts of different ways with it. And it's a, it's a franchise that they can kind of keep going infinitely. Uh, see what I did there? Because the next one's called Halo Infinite. Infinite. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so that's a, like a huge positive in its favor. It's, it's hasn't died. It's had its lulls, but it's always sprung back into the public consciousness. Yeah, it's definitely one that established the Xbox. Mm-hmm. And then even the Xbox 360 was launched alongside Halo 3. It was actually, flagship. there was a little delay there. It was supposed to launch alongside it. It didn't come out until a year after. Yeah, but still. But it was an event when it did. Yes. You're right about that. Uh, I think it was also one of the first um, consoles to get a skin. And then that started becoming a trend too. Right, right. Also, Halo 2 is important to mention because mm-hmm. even though everybody hated the ending, 
the multiplayer pretty much established what online multiplayer shooters were going to be like on console from there on. So that was like 2004. Before that, like, yeah, like we talked about in the Sony episode, Sony was dabbling with internet stuff like with SOCOM, but Microsoft said, nah, here's Xbox Live, here's Halo 2, and this is how it actually works. And again, just like the shooter controls, that established a baseline for what we still see in multiplayer shooters today. Until Call of Duty changed things up with leveling and, um, and perks in uh, 2007, that template that Halo 2 introduced was the template for multiplayer deathmatch shooters. Well, I'm glad you brought Xbox Live up because mm-hmm. the Xbox original came out with Xbox Live included in it, which was something that wasn't really a, a mainstay at that, at that time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then they fully used that with Halo 2 yeah. for online multiplayer. And even up to like a couple years ago when they decided to kill off that Xbox Live. The original, yeah. There was still a, hand, a group of people out there <laughs> who kept Halo 2 running yeah. to keep the Xbox Live alive. Speaking of which, so how many times did you go to a friend's house or go to a LAN party and played a bunch of Halo 2? Oh, like every birthday? <laughs> yeah, a lot. Yeah, I did too, and I didn't even have an Xbox. No. And I would still get invited to like my friend's parties because it was the thing to do. It was connecting a bunch of Xboxes together, later Xbox 360s, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, and then playing Halo 2 all night. It was like, that what, was just such a staple of people's lives. What Smash Brothers did for the Nintendo console, mm-hmm. Halo 2 mm-hmm. basically did for the Xbox. And not to say anything about the uh, less about the 360 run either. I mean, like you mentioned, Halo 3 was a huge event. I'd say that I had just as many times playing Halo 3 with my friends. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, of course, the spinoffs. We should mention those. Halo Reach and ODST. Yep. ODST was kind of a unique take where it was like, here's like this more calm, stealth-oriented with an open-world hub version of Halo uh, that really was like a jazz soundtrack. It was a really awesome game. And then Reach. Reach is like, here's this cast of characters. Master Chief's not the only one you care about anymore. Here's mm-hmm. these cast characters with like special abilities, and almost kind of hinting at the squad-based shooter that would become in vogue in this generation. And so, yeah, it was like it, they tried new things with the franchise. They did a lot of great, like a great like experiments, and a lot of the DNA of Halo is what created the modern shooter. Um, we should probably talk about some negatives, though. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Before let's, we move on. Okay, so negatives. Halo Wars. Yeah, so the Halo Wars 1 and 2, people don't really care about those games. They're real-time strategy games designed for consoles. The only thing I remember about Halo Wars 1 is the all units button. Right. All units. If yeah. you don't just want to select some units, you want to select all units, that game is something you should try. <laughs> yeah, but then again, Halo was some, that Halo Wars was something of a... Niche because it's coming off of the really mm-hmm. huge popular um, Star Star not Star Fox uh, Star. You're thinking Starcraft. Starcraft. It was very Starcrafty. It was yeah. basically like we let's make a Starcraft, but with all the signature Halo designs and sounds, and that's exactly what that game is. Yeah. Um, I mean, like other negatives. I mean, yeah, you do kind of the side effect of popularizing online. Uh, multiplayer gaming, though, is that you get all the downsides of that. I remember Halo 2 and Halo 3 playing online were very toxic environments in a lot of cases, and especially not beginner-friendly for a lot of people. So people uninitiated would go on and hear nothing but racial slurs yelled at them the whole time. Right. It was a a fun time for a lot of people. And a lot of moms were involved Mm -hmm. in all this, too. Um, Not just in the controversy of is this video game too violent for my kid mm-hmm. but is it causing like you said a toxic um environment for my kid that's joining it yeah i mean it also it's not... really dabbled in that 13 mm-hmm. guideline of you have to be 13 to be online mm-hmm. but most of the time they're not i definitely <laughs> played against some like 11 year olds oh yeah three for sure but yeah, like that's the, unfortunately though, that's not really here or there when you're talking about Halo the game. It's not Halo's fault that the online community was was as toxic as it was. I mean, things have gotten better over the years, uh, but it's still, I think, it's safe to mention. Uh, but as for negatives, the actual game, um, hmm. the, well, well, the first game was clunky in itself, but that's typical I, for a the, first game. The, the first game was weird because it was like, it's such a different thing than what's came, what came after it. Right. A lot of Halo 1 is like, 
here's this very large environment and here I don't know necessarily where to go next excuse me where like like it wasn't super good at pathfinding at that point it, and to a cert, like to a certain extent people probably enjoyed that aspect of it like enjoyed the ability to explore but for me I would I played it on PC first mm-hmm. since again I didn't have an Xbox and yeah I just remember spending a lot of time trying to figure out like where the hell am I going where do I have to go all this green area looks the same uh, have you seen that waterfall before I don't yes. remember <laughs> and to the point where my dad even came up with the term well I say came up with but that's probably being generous he started saying oh it's the halo rule and what he meant by that was is if you see enemies that's where you should go yes if you if you see <laughs> if you see combat somewhere yeah. you're heading in the right direction that's probably where you should go also it had the nice thing where like a checkpoint would pop whenever you went the right way yes um, but another another thing we have to talk about and I kind of weakly mentioned earlier the ending to halo 2 yes that pissed a lot of people off halo I mean did. actually kind of the entirety of halo 2's plot People hated that there was that twist where you played as the Arbiter mm-hmm. through half of the game. They were like, hey, where's Master Chief? Like, this is not Master Chief. And then at the end, yeah, it made things worse because it ends on a cliffhanger. And people hate cliffhangers, especially in this case, if you had to wait almost four years to see the next game. You want to wait four years? That's nothing. I know, I know. Yes. But yes, yeah, not even um, just waiting four years, but... Waiting for the next console generation <laughs> to appear mm-hmm. to get more story out of this. Yeah, not ideal, and I remember a lot of people being pissed off at the time. Mm-hmm. And then, like, as for the the, the the years after 3, I think there were some diminishing returns. I think a lot of people dropped off after 3, a lot of people didn't care as much for the spinoffs, and by the time you get to the, the once Bungie uh, stopped developing the series and it became an in-house Microsoft perform, uh, 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 publishing 343 with 343 Industries a lot of uh, more people even dropped off I mean 4 and 5 I hear that they're fine games but just Halo just doesn't mean the same thing as it used to anymore Microsoft can't use it as a tentpole as quite as they used to because of that and so now you have these games coming out and they get like okay like ratings and okay praise and they sell all right, but they're not the biggest entertainment event in history like Halo Three was. No, but that is of course diminishing returns. Uh-huh. People have the nostalgia for Halo, uh-huh. but uh, the more you progress in the story, the more people start to feel like oh, you're just adding a lot of fluff. A lot yeah. of this doesn't matter. We had our core story. It was good. Please, leave it alone. And I think, again, a lot of people love Master Chief. And so if you take yes. Master Chief out of the Master Chief game, you have a lot of people who don't care. Right. There's Well, especially in the game where you're basically the Master Chief character, the only character, yeah. and the only other person is an AI in your head. Yeah. You're shooting literally everyone else. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of external characters you can explore at that point. <laughs> yeah, and then that's why I think they did try with the spinoffs to be like, here's this larger universe. Right, here's this actual war they're trying to fight. Uh-huh. Here's this actual, you know, space marines that Master Chief mm-hmm. trained in. Here's all these extra characters that we didn't make any reference to before. <laughs> But they exist. They matter. They matter. Uh, if you read the book, you would know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like ultimately, like the negatives are kind of light when you're talking about something like this because yeah, it is it is an incredibly inc- like important franchise, and yeah, definitely the most important probably Microsoft franchise for sure. Right. But it, like like we said, it does have a strong community. It does. I, I mean, they do have their own expanded universe in terms of books and comics and graphic novels. So yeah, to a certain extent, the legacy for Halo is already established. It will always be remembered as something that was important. The big question mark here is Infinite. Halo Infinite is currently announced, and they haven't announced a uh, date. date for it. They haven't announced what it is. Date. We don't even know whether this is going to be a traditional Halo game. A lot of people, there's a lot of rumors out there that think this is going to be a Destiny-style loot shooter. And if it is, that could change Halo a lot as to how we think about it. So yeah, this is a work in progress, and a lot of these Microsoft franchises are, I think. It's definitely had... This is... It's unlike the Sony problem, where mm-hmm. it's a case in amber, they're never going to touch it again. This is not that. This is definitely something that they constantly try to reinvent. Right. Because Microsoft's flagship is, and probably will always be, Halo. It is their Mario, but yeah. unlike Mario, where you can put them in literally anything... You can't put Master Chief in everything. <laughs> yeah. That'd be really funny if there was a kart racing game with Master Chief. 
but it'll never happen. No. All it right. takes itself too seriously to yeah. be that. I think we've said our piece about Halo. All right. Well, uh, I got another one. Okay. I mean, I kind of already said it. You kind of already said it, but we're well, going to talk, talk about, about it. Gears of War. All right. So, Gears of War is kind of like Halo's little brother. That's how I see it. It's more angrier and more violent, but more fun? Question mark? I mean, it's a very, very different game. So yeah. when the first Gears of War came out, it was also pretty revolutionary, and it did actually make a big impact about how shooters work on, worked on consoles. This was kind of... Microsoft's big launch push since they didn't have Halo 3 in 2006 what they decided instead to was give Epic the keys and say hey Epic do something that's like Unreal Tournament but completely new for this new console with your new engine new at the time Unreal Engine 3 and yeah Gears of War is kind of the thing they made it was a shooter but it wasn't first person it was third person it was also designed completely around cover which was something that was relatively unique at the time. Uh, a lot of people are, are very quick to point out that the game Kill Switch, uh, which was from the previous generation, mm-hmm. influenced Halo, uh, Gears of War design a lot because it had a similar kind of uh, take cover or pop above to shoot mechanic. But nobody played Kill Switch, so that allowed people to be like wowed by Gears of War and being like, this is a completely new kind of shooter. Right, and the most probably effect of a cover shooter game most people got was in the arcade, Time Crisis. Right, right, Time Crisis. It was a completely different kind of thing. Yeah. But they did kind of emulate that same kind of feeling of, I've got to lay low because a lot of fire is coming towards me, and every once in a while, I'm going to pop up and shoot. Um, so that was kind of the the only unique thing about it, though. Uh, the rest of it, though, was kind of very generic mid-2000s design. It has the 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 uh, big the bulky yeah, characters. Yes, of being that Unreal Three kind of design where everyone's huge. The colors are like grays and browns. There aren't a lot of gr- like there isn't a lot of blues, greens. There isn't a lot of like popping colors. It's a very drab world. It's very mm-hmm. serious. It takes itself very seriously. And they did follow the Halo template of even though there's not a whole lot going on here. Let's give the universe some depth. Let's talk about like the companies in play, the war that's happening, the enemy. Let's give everything a lot of lore. Like when the game uh, uh, was uh, uh, first coming out, they called the launch day Emergence Day because that tied into the plot of the game where the locusts were emerging from the ground and all this stuff. So like they did a, their due diligence about trying to create a universe and just like Halo, it did work. There were a lot of people who were really invested in the Halo lore. There were novels, just like Halo. They really used the Halo stuff as a template for Gears of War, and I think it did work for a very long time. Yeah, well, where Gears of War shined was not necessarily in its solo single-player story, mm. but in its multiplayer platform. I'm glad you brought this up, because co-op was incredibly important for Gears of yes. War, especially Gears of War 1. Because this was a time where like these shooters were usually, in the campaigns, at least for shooters, were insular situations. Gears of War was like, nah, play this with a friend. Mm-hmm. We had designed the entire game to be played with a friend. And that seems silly now. Every, almost every game is co-op at this point. Right. But in 2006, that was really cool. I played co-op with one of my friends from high school uh, online when this came out. And it was a lot of fun because it was a way to be like, team up on like, hey, you flank over there. Uh, get those some of those guys from behind because I can't take them from my point of view. Or like, oh, there's a weapon over there. Go grab the rocket launcher or whatever, or the grenade launcher or something. Go over there and get them, get, like get like the, them over there. It was like you could be more tactical with a friend. You could be, uh, and the game was hard enough where it demanded it. Right, and this also helped propel Xbox Live into every console, every home. You no longer had to be with your friend on the couch right. playing on one TV. You could be in your own houses on your own consoles. Playing your own games, which, you know, profit money right there on yeah. top of it. And then, yeah, then also there was a straight-up multiplayer deathmatch mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't necessary. That, though, wasn't everyone's cup of tea, uh, especially the first game's multiplayer. It had some issues. I mean, we'll go more into it, to it with the negatives, but, but it definitely had some issues with being, like, maybe some weapons being overpowered and, like, the balancing not being uh, uh, too... Uh, to the extent where it could be. But later games fix that, and by the time you get to uh, Gears of War 3 especially, mm-hmm. the multiplayer options are just endless. They really went into it and 
one of my favorite things about Gears of War is Horde Mode. I was going to say, we need to talk about Horde Mode because not only did they introduce Horde Mode, yes. they basically got it right right off the bat. <laughs> they really, really did. Gears of War 2 did have an element of it, but Gears of War 3 is where they perfected it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like and every other game in that generation, for a while, started doing their own Horde Modes in response. Even Halo. Uh, ODST had something called Firefight, which yep. did continue throughout the rest of the series as well. And yeah, it was, and even Uncharted 2 had like an equivalent to a horde mode. Mm-hmm. It became the, a new, like, required mode because of how good it was in Gears. And yeah, I played horde mode so much with my friends, just killing dudes, getting money, building building yeah. stuff with, in a way, kind of pre-stage stuff like Fortnite later. Uh, but yeah, like, like, kind of combining a multiplayer shooter with tower defense uh, worked really well and, and kind of changed multiplayer co-op shooters for a while. Um, so yeah, like I think that there's a lot of uh, real cool things that Gears does. It's a really good feeling game. The active reload, we didn't even talk about that, but that was really, really cool. No game seems to have copied it. No, but I do want to bring up uh, real briefly, since we're talking about it, on the positives, the voice acting. Mm-hmm. The voice acting is superb. They, there are a lot of unique voices to this. The characters yeah. feel fresh. They feel not necessarily like copy and paste of previous generations, but definitely something that you can hear the voice and you automatically know this is from Gears of War. Yes. This is this person talking. I mean, John DiMaggio's voice well, yeah, is John just DiMaggio. irreplaceable. <laughs> and then and you have, like, yeah, memorable personalities like Coltrane. <laughs> and, like, yeah, it was really, it's just, yeah, they, they, were, they managed to create a universe and like Halo where people had just enough to hold on to that mm-hmm. it didn't seem like a waste of time. Like, I knew that even people... Who were uh, even people who were like, oh, this is kind of you know like dude broy kind of like a boring kind of story. Even my three, there was some interest even in those people to be like, I'm kind of interested to see how this wraps up. I am kind of interested to like see what happens to these certain characters. And yeah, and, and the, another uh, positive is that the series is continuing to go. Uh, we had. Gears of War 4 on the Xbox One just a couple years ago. Gears we have of War 5, 5 that's announced. on the way that looks interesting. Supposed to be out later this year. And and yeah, I mean, really, like, as for the like the games, every single one has been critically acclaimed, except for maybe the uh, Gears of War Judgment, which was kind of a spinoff that came after yeah. 3. Um, but yeah, like other than that, it's like it's it's it was Epic's calling card for a while until, just like Halo, they decided to give the reins to Microsoft, and now it's an in-house developed game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, we should probably talk about negatives now. Okay. Chainsaw for guns. So yeah, uh, <laughs> like I kind of just mentioned, uh, the atmosphere is kind of dude bro, and a is. lot of people, that turns them off. It's kind of not too dissimilar to what we were talking about with God of War on the PlayStation side, is that you, when you build your game about being super, super serious, super violent, bloody chunks flying everywhere... A uh, just drab-looking environment. It make it turns off a lot of people, and it makes it hard to get into in the same way that something a tad more inviting like a Halo can. Halo is at least colorful, even though it is a pretty serious sci-fi story. It's at least interesting because it's got all these like this this element of adventure to it. Gears of War has no adventure to it. It's just action. It is just you're going point to point, point A to point B, and shooting everything in sight, which also negative is it has incredibly linear design unlike halo Mm -hmm. there aren't a whole lot of areas for you to really explore it's more like we're going to funnel you down until you get to a certain point where combat will happen you always know because there's There's little waist length (laughs) walls everywhere to tell you combat's happening yeah you get into the area or you get to a corridor and you see all these uh barriers already like okay combat's coming better take cover or, even worse, when you have to take a call from the commander and you have to walk real slow while holding your fingers to your yeah. ear, it created a lot of like these things that other games did as well at the time that annoyed people to no end with des- just design choices. Um, another thing is um, the, the toxic environment online. Even maybe more so than Halo, because... Gears of War got to a point where the multiplayer, like the deathmatch multiplayer, mm-hmm. was just so hard and so toxic that it was just an impenetrable brick wall for new players. 
I tried to play multiplayer and I just died so quickly. People are so good in that game and so mean in that game. Especially with like shotguns. They would just come up with you, shotgun, down you. And just like instantly and there was just no way to have fun with it. And I had fr friends that at the time were like trying to be encouraging and be like, oh, you just need to learn the map. So, oh, 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 you just need to figure out like where this weapon is. And if you get this weapon, you're dominant. But I couldn't even get that far because I was dying so often. I didn't want to learn. Right. And that's something that Gears of War had a problem with. Yeah. Especially in multiplayer was the respawn. Mm -hmm. uh, that there were automatic respawns. It wasn't like with Call of Duty that involved over time where there, if people flip the map, then your respawn would flip. Yeah. It was, you're one-sided, you're going to respawn here all the time, so people would know you're either going to spawn on one of, like, three locations and right. run between them. And later in the series, they would try to fix those things. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, it, like, all of the things they talked about, in fact, like, as the game progressed, in, uh, especially three and four... You did kind of see them working on the environments and making them more colorful. You had more greenery. You had more like, more like, oh, this isn't a sports stadium. You had them branching out to do other stuff with the environments. You did see the uh, the level design evolve to be less linear, especially as the game went into three and four, and you had four player co op. Yep. It created a lot of more branching paths, a lot more exploratory area. Um, then also the multiplayer. They did try to make the maps a little bit more balanced. They tried to fix the spawns. They tried to introduce a lot more modes to uh, bring in like like modes where it was like one elimination modes and stuff where you wouldn't have spawn problems at all uh, and stuff like that. And so, yeah, they would try to work on these. But ultimately, though, that doesn't keep the multiplayer from being an impressive, an oppressive environment. I even tried to dive into Forge multiplayer when that came out and it was just impenetrable still. It's just it's so hard and people get so good at it. It's really, really hard to get in. Which is why stuff like Horde Mode and Vlad exists, because that's a way where you can have that kind of difficult challenge, but you're at least helped out by your friends. Right, your friends are there to, like I said, help you out. Yeah. They're not there to baby you, in a sense, trying to get you caught up. But yeah, but to, yeah. to a certain extent, yeah, just the, the way that the game is developed is it, it designed is to encourage that kind of like serious play. The serious kind of like, you need to learn this game kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's just not my bag, and there's probably a lot of not, not a lot of other people's bag either. It's a very serious game, and that dwells and goes into the story too. Like, the game made a lot of weird choices narratively by killing off certain characters, by having certain characters have dramatic moments that basically became memes. So, yeah, the, <laughs> the pacing of Gears of War is. Mm, it got cheesy. You know how, I wasn't going to say cheesy. I was going to say rocky mm -hmm. at best. Mm -hmm. the, it was never a smooth storyline. They always trying to throw twists and turns. It's while yes, that is probably par for the course for most video games. Yeah, there is a point when you just overdo it. Right. And gears when it hit three started to overdo it. So gears not again not unlike God of War does have the. First impression problem. Yeah. It has the problem of being in this universe that's very dark and drab and not very friendly to newbies. Um, and the legacy question is also in question here because just like Infinite, we have a new game on the horizon that we don't necessarily know 100% what it is. I mean, Gears of War is a little easier to guess. We don't think that they're going to go and completely revolutionize Gears of War. They know they have a, 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 a basic structure that worked in 4 that they're going to probably do again in 5. It looks like they're going to focus more on characters this time. They've, they're taking the younger generation of Gears characters that they introduced in 4 and really focusing in on those. Um, I mean, Marcus... Right, uh, picking up of the mantle, yeah, passing of the torch. Marcus is still there, but there's more like question about his like morality this time, about how good of an influence the old guard is. And so they're doing interesting things, but it's still a question mark. Uh, and I don't know if a Gears of War-style game is going to matter as much now as it may have in the 360 era. And so, yeah, it's, like, it's, a, it's a question mark, not unlike the Halo question mark, where it's just like, it's a wait and see. I don't ultimately think it matters as much as a whole uh, compared to Halo, but like big picture wise, they're similar in ways where they did revolutionary uh, revolutionize their kind of game for a big period of time. 
Now, yeah. do you have anything else to say about Gears? Uh, no, not really. I think we covered a lot of Gears. Mm-hmm. We covered a lot of Halo. <laughs> but, as those are probably the main two for Xbox... Well, we'll see. There's, there's, there's others there's we others. have to talk about. Alright, so I'm going to bring in one that probably, over, the, over time, got a little hate because of waiting, <laughs> but still, for the Xbox, was an established game, Okay, and that's Fable. Yeah, Fable's an interesting one, because Fable, you have a peak, and you have valleys. So, you have peaks after one and two, mm-hmm. and then literally death valley between that and three. Oh, so I've never played a Fable game. Have you played Fable? I played Fable 2. Okay. Because people said, oh, you should play Fable before Fable 2 comes out. I was like, but it's a sequel. If they're going to keep me caught up, like they should, mm-hmm. why do I need to play it? Also, I don't want to spend money to go buy it if I'm just going to play the new one. So I played Fable 2. It's a fun adventure game. I've heard good things. It, there's good things about it. It's definitely open world enough to where I'm not super lost. There's definitely a, a linear storyline. There's definitely a bunch of magical elements, but... Is it that linear, though? Because one of the key things about the Fable franchise, especially 2 and 3, is that it was kind of the fir- one of the first games to be like, of that generation, to be like, hey, what about moral choices? What about if the choices that you made in the game had effect on the rest of the game? About, say, powers you unlock, say, plot elements that happen, hey, say, even the look of your character. What if your choices actually mattered. That was like Peter Molyneux's whole thing about the Fable games. Didn't really matter to me. Because I always <laughs> played it as the hero well, type. Maybe not for you, but what not I'm saying me. is yes. it did make an impact on the industry. I don't think you would have had stuff like the Telltale games or stuff like uh, Infamous. Infamous. There's a lot of key franchises that learned a lot about, even Mass Effect, mm-hmm. like that learned a lot about uh, moral choices when it ha- when it, and, and it really, really mattered. Yeah, but uh, see, for that, I always played as the hero because I didn't see any benefit. benefit. And I think that's one of the things, well, when we get to the negatives about it. And not to make a Peter Molyneux joke, but the morality of the game did kind of tur- turn very black and white. It was, yeah. <laughs> sorry. I'm that's sorry. That's just, a, for you, just for you uh, PC players. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. <laughs> uh, visual jokes. Anyways. Anyways. No, the game itself was... Good. I mean, I didn't necessarily finish the game. Yeah, I remember a lot of people being very up on the uh, the Fable games. Yeah. Um, I think it was, yeah, it was a combination of the options that you had, kind of an open-ended kind of adventure game format in an era where that was not something you saw a lot on consoles. Mm -hmm. Uh, Peter Molyneux was a PC developer, and he was taking a lot of the things that he had done traditionally in PC games, like Black and White, like Populous, like his franchises that were PC-centric, he really brought that kind of flavor and that kind of exploration and adventure to consoles with Fable. And then we get the Valley. So, Death Valley. We need to talk. The, the big elephant in the room could actually fit like five elephants oh, in, between, in between the development of Halo, of Fable, of Fable 2 and Fable 3 and the result yeah. that Fable 3 people was. People loved Fable 2, which made Fable 3 disappointing mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. From what I understand about it, uh, it was uh, uh, the story just wasn't as interesting. It kind of tossed you into the end unprepared, yeah. and the ending was over underwhelming to the point where they actually had to add an, like extra ending content later as DLC for people who wanted a more complete story, which was the beginning of that whole when that started becoming a fiasco, where people are like, "What is? What does it mean to like amend the ending of a game? What does it mean if a game does not end correctly?" Mm-hmm. Which would later, speaking again of Mass Effect, by other franchises in the ass. And so, yeah, it's like it was a disappointing third entry, and people kind of lost the plot after that. People just didn't care as much about Fable as they used to. So it was almost like swapping the Halo 2, Halo 3 situation, where yeah. instead of coming back in at the end and really finishing your trilogy off in a, in a big, bombastic way, you instead peaked in your second industry, in, entry, and then Fable was kind of left to the spinoffs. And there were spinoffs. Oh, there were spinoffs. Should we list the spinoffs? We don't necessarily have to list them, but Legends. we can talk about like how Legends. basically nobody cared. Yeah, Fable nobody Legends cared about Fable Legends. The Journey. 
Nobody cared about the journey. The journey especially was kind of, that was their connect game. And that was like them being like, oh no, it's not on rails. When it was very much on rails. It was very much on rails. And now you have... Uh, Heroes. Yeah. You have Heroes. Heroes where, like, it was like a completely different kind of game. Mm -hmm. And nobody bought it. (laughs) And now you have a question mark because there's an announced Fable game that we don't even know when it's going to come out. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's like, it's... And and also, it also has the... Uh, Halo and Gears of War problem, which is at some point, Peter Molyneux's studio Lionhead stopped develop- developing them, mm-hmm. and now it's an in-house Microsoft IP. Now, so now it's extra questionable whether they'll even bother to bring it back. I don't think they will. I mean, sure, they probably just reboot it, and I think that's what they probably should but do. What would, what would a Fable game be, though, in 20-whatever? Well, no, it's not even what would it be. It'd be what would it accomplish. Yeah. There's nothing... The uniqueness of Fable is gone to basically by the wayside at this point. Right. We don't, we don't longer have that duality, emotional connect for video games anymore. I mean, even with recent games like Detroit Become Human, which gave you a bunch of options, yeah. ultimately ended with you have... One story where you're good, one story where you're evil, and every other option is you die. I think what happened was instead of just being as, again, black and white as those choices were back then, I think the, those choices still exist in major franchises, but instead they're making them more subtle and more woven into the actual gameplay of the game. They're making those things matter in a more subtle, like, like surprising way than just like literally changing your char- giving your character horns if you're evil. Like, it's become more nuanced, and I think yeah. that's overall a better design choice. And as games get more complex, that's going to be more and more common instead of these, like, very obvious, you did the bad thing, so now you're bad kind of choices. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the DNA of Fable is in a lot of franchises that still continue today. It's just Fable itself, yeah, I think like I think you, you're right, is becoming obsolete. It's like there's no reason for that thing to exist and so yeah i think that the the legacy question is very harmful towards the franchise or just like it's just not gonna matter uh do you have anything else you want to talk about Fable? no but we have it was a short one because there was not as much to talk about yeah uh what else yeah that's what i was gonna talk about next what do you know uh next up though is a very interesting one a very long-running one um, because it's not necessarily story-driven, no. but it is a driven game. And it may actually be one of the more <laughs> consistent ones we've talked about so far. And that is... <laughs> driven. Uh, Forza. So Forza. Uh, Forza, Forza, however you want to say it. However Italian you actually want to get into it on Forza. Uh, Forza. Uh, um, um, while we're talking about Forza Motorsport, we're, we're going to combine Forza Horizon into so yeah, this as well. I was, I was going to say that. This includes the Motorsport franchise and, and Horizon. So... Forza is one of those franchises that I think a lot of people take for granted mm-hmm. on the Microsoft platform because it's existed for so long and because it's an annualized thing. Every single year, a new Forza game comes out. Uh, now it didn't used to be that way, but now it is. Um, but this is this is here because almost as like kind of like a contrast to uh, when we talked about Gran Turismo on the PlayStation platform, because this is just like Gran Turismo. A sim driving game. This is a game that's like supposed to put you into the, the driver's seat of cars that you can't own in real life or pro- probably won't own in real life, give you a realistic driving experience so that way you can have fun with them on a console. It's a formally very PC-centric kind of thing brought to consoles with uh, with like a sense of like accuracy and realism that your racing games don't usually provide. Right, and I'm glad you brought up Grand Turismo real briefly mm-hmm. because while we talked about the gaps during Sony of Grand Turismo whenever it was going to come out... There are no gaps in Forza. No. There's consistently been Forza games since the Xbox 360. Since 2005. Yeah. And that's really impressive and like goes to show like how much that the, this team over at Turn 10 really does care about this franchise and how much they care about their fans. And... Fans are key when you're talking about Forza because by the time that 3 came out, Forza evolved into this franchise that wasn't just about realistic racing. It became a marketplace in itself. 
the the game basically gave the design tools for designing paint jobs and like accent accents and like accoutrement for your cars and drivers that it became its own its own like ecosystem within the game people make a like at the time made a living i don't know if they still do (laughs) making stickers for forza cars yeah like it was a literal marketplace you can spend money real life money on people's cool stickers and it became so much more than just about the racing and the driving. It became more about, like, this is the Forza universe that you can live in for a while. And then Horizon is important to notice note, note here. Right, because it took the game off the tracks. It did. Well, it, that, <laughs> in a way, yeah. In a way. Uh, Horizon was their, their chance to be like, hey, if you think the motorsport, the Forza motorsport games are too hardcore and too in-depth and aren't user-friendly enough, we're going to give you this more fun, this more freewheeling, this open world version of the Forza world. The the exotic version. Yeah, with, with fun, more fun crazy cars to drive, more fun events, more interesting loca- locales, and constant open world multiplayer stuff. They introduced the concept of the Drivatar, which was basically mm-hmm. this, at first laughable idea that you're going to have version ghost car versions essentially of your real friends that drove based on data of their real world driving so basically you could see your friend drive when they're not online and they would try to as much as they could emulate their driving style just as if they were really driving that car Mm -hmm. and yeah and like to the point where now the newest release forza Forza motorsport or forza horizon 4 is like the, the it, like yeah introduced season stuff but it incorporated that so much that now you'll be just driving around the open world and you'll see your friends drive guitars driving around mm-hmm. it's become this living breathing world um another cool thing that the forces uh, series does that gran turismo never even tried they really took gran turismo's realism and it was like and moved it down a notch by allowing you to customize how difficult you want it to be they introduced tunable like assists that you can then like use to like hey maybe i don't want to worry about braking as much hey maybe i don't want to worry about spinning out maybe i want the traction control on and to maybe i want a line a racing line to be physically on the course so that way i can see the best approach for this turn Mm -hmm. it made the difficulty more accessible and that's why an average person can jump into a forza motorsport game in a way that they couldn't with Gran Turismo game. Right, whereas Gran Turismo, you're going to be crashing and then just learn by yourself. Forza gave you a bunch of tools to help you automatically, and it definitely helped curtail yeah. a lot of people to want to play those games more. They weren't yeah. automatically turned off by the difficulty rating. And still all with real cars. Something oh, yeah. that Gran Turismo always used as a crutch, being like, oh, we can't do all these things because we're doing real cars. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, Forza is able to have its cake and eat it too. It's being able to present itself as a sim and give you very in-depth sim uh, gameplay, but at the same time, have these accessibility options for people to jump in and play. And it always looks beautiful. Forza is always like the bar that the Xbox uh, systems always have to be like, this is how good an Xbox game can look. Like, Forza Horizon 4 look amazing. Oh, yeah. And especially now on an Xbox, Xbox One X. Xbox One X, HDR, 4K, enabled 4K. Like, it just probably looks like nothing else. And now these games are on PC, so they can look as good as your PC can make them look. Right. And so, yeah, it's 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 a really, really good-looking barometer for, like, where we're at with racing games. I think it's the de facto sim now franchise, for sure. Do you have anything you want to say positive before we move on to negatives? Um, anything positive? No, I have nothing positive to say about the game. <laughs> Which, Which is, is a perfect segue. Yeah. So, the problem with being a sim, even if you want to have all those accessibility options, is no matter what you do, there are certain people who are never going to want to play a sim driving game. Yeah. There are people who just like, if I want to drive, I want it to be over the top, and I want it to be arcadey. And that's and all I, they want. I don't want to jump off and do flips and mm-hmm. tricks and put guns on my car. It doesn't make sense. And even in Horizon, the most arcadey that the game gets, it still is so semi that it will still turn off people who want an mm-hmm. arcade experience. But that's essentially what the game is. Right, yeah. You that, can't that's necessarily 
can't fault it for fault exactly it. doing what it wants to do. But you do have to mention that, like, if it's just the kind of game it is, is going to alienate a lot of people. That is going to be a problem for its for its importance, for its legacy, mm-hmm. because you do have you do have like it is important for what it is, but it's not going to ever overtake even time-honored franchises of driving like Need for Speed and Burnout. It's just never going to get to those echelons because it is kind of a niche kind of thing. More so than those games are. Um, additionally, it's it's not a very, like, there's not a whole lot of variety there. The problem yeah. that you have with basing your uh, uh, game on realism is that its boundaries are real life. So that means that you're not going to have crazy arcade modes. You're not going to have trick modes. You're not going to have super exotic unrealistic cars you're going to have realistic exotic cars you're never going to have a world to drive in that's going to be crazy and unique and inventive you're going to have courses based on real courses yeah whereas you have the need for speed franchise that gives you that open world environment there's cops everywhere that can take you down there's street racing everywhere there's different um racing simulations whether it's speed time lap, whatever yeah forza doesn't really curtail to that it's not that kind of game which yeah is it's like makes it and even and even with the assists i have to admit uh, i have to admit it's still a very hard game to get into even if you are putting put, pushing everything to on that was my most recent experience even with horizon it's like i didn't play a whole lot of it because even with all the assists it was still not an easy game for me to be like, okay, I'm doing well at this. I was still getting passed by the, the, the computer, and I still wasn't getting first place in any of the races. It was just, it's, it's, it's a thing that even if you do, like, do, the, do the, uh, your due diligence and make an effort to get into, it still has that barrier of entry, just because of what it is. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really hard to talk about the negatives because it is very much its own thing. Mm-hmm. Because for the negatives, which you would say for most people, isn't necessarily what the game is trying to be. Yeah, what it, it is, does, what it, is. it is, and it does it well. Yeah, and it's within its own driving simulation bubble that it does really well. It, so it's hard to add stuff to it. Yeah. Like we said, like the Grand Turismo, like the Need for Speed, like Mario Kart. <laughs> right. Ultimately, it's just not going to hang. Ultimately, when we get to the bracket here, because of just it's just so niche. But it does its thing so well that we have to talk about it. Oh, it's definitely nomination, like, yep. up the wall. It's definitely important for Microsoft. It's definitely a crown, a jewel in its crown. For yes. Sure. All right, let's move on. Do you have another one? Uh, do you have another one? I could probably dwell, dredge one up. All right, what do you got? To. What do you got? Because oh, okay. I got a couple. Now you're putting me on the spot. Because <laughs> right, I have two. Let me think. Well, well technically I have three, but... Uh, okay, well, two. if you have ones on the ready, you should go. All right, let's go with Crackdown, then. Okay, yeah, Crackdown, this is a weird one, because... We just had a Crackdown game release. It's not too dissimilar to the Fable story, really, because... But this is actually the best example of uh, the Sony problem, which was a a product of its time. Mm -hmm. Crackdown 1 was 100% a product of its time. So, um, like, yeah, the thing about Crackdown was, is kind of, one, is kind of twofold. One... It, it was a kind of game that hadn't really been done on a console in the specific way that it did it. It was presenting an open world game like not too dissimilar from Grand Theft Auto 3, but doing it in a way that was that gave you more power over your environment by upping your ability to traverse it. And it also was it removed all semblance of plot giving you the feeling of like I could literally do whatever I wanted in this world. The other half of it is that it shipped with a demo for Halo 3. <laughs> and so what it did is that it Trojan horsed a lot of, into a lot of people's lives. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people were like well I've been waiting with bated breath for Halo 3 and I want to play it as early as possible I want in on this beta. And so they had to buy Crackdown to get in on the beta. And what people found out is that the game that was attached to their love, like the, the beta that they w- wanted to love so much, actually ended up being kind of fun. Yeah. And so I think that surprise element did it a lot of favors. It made that game more memorable and more interesting than I think it would have if it hadn't had that beta on it. 
Well, it was definitely you. I don't say unique at the time, but yeah. the open world concept, the sandbox concept, was relatively fresh in that generation cycle. Yes, and if we're talking about Crackdown, we have to talk about orbs. Okay. So yeah, it became its own genre, essentially. It created the genre of the superpower open world game. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that first game was so addictive because they figured out a way to do a carrot on the stick in a way that those games hadn't yet. The open world games hadn't figured out. It's like, how do we keep people in this world? The answer was not narrative, like like Rockstar thought it was going to be. Right. Instead, the answer was, let's make you find collectibles and let's put so many in the world and put them in places that you want to, that you can see clearly and want to eagerly go to, that you can't stop going to them. Right. And that concept would play out through pretty much every sandbox game from there on after. Even so much as to the most recent Sony Spider-Man game had a bunch of collectibles scattered yeah. everywhere. It was incredibly influential. It is the reason why an Assassin's Creed, like Assassin's Creed exists. It's mm-hmm. the reason why Saints Row went the, on the trajectory that it did with 3 and 4. It's the reason why uh, Infamous exists in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. It created this new way for developers to play around with with open world games, for sure. Right, and but because it is the first, it has a lot of... But so yeah, the only problem though is with Crackdown is as important as that first game was and as fun as that first game's formula was when you boil it down, it wasn't a great game. And what I mean by that is is that it does one thing, and that's the only thing it does. That game has no plot. That game has very very little mission objectives. That game is literally you go to a place, you kill everybody, and you win. Yeah. That is there's nothing more difficult. There's no puzzles to solve. There's no character. There's no... Like, beyond the agent voice that talks to you, there's no character. It's there's, the sh- shoot your way out. It's... It's very, it's, very simplistic. Yeah. And so it relies so much on that that moment-to-moment being invested in the collectibles that that's literally the only thing it has to hold down to. And I think that's why, when you get to later in the franchises with 2 and 3, that there's just not enough there there's not enough meat on the bone to get people interested anymore and so that's why nobody cared about those games as much as you want to dress up the concept of crackdown you can't get away from the fact that it only does one thing well right and even the game the comparable to it saints row did everything that game crackdown wanted to do better better yeah saints row 4 is not a great game at least compared to 3 it has its own issues, mm-hmm. but it did take everything that Crackdown did and basically was like, no, we perfected this now. Like, you just run through the city. You jump super, super, super far. Like, it did that stuff that was the cool thing about Crackdown, that power fantasy of Crackdown, mm-hmm. and immediately perfected it. Like, there's just no way Crackdown can out-Crackdown it. Yep. There's no way you can do it. And then, yeah, and so you like you get that element of diminishing returns with the sequels, and that's why nobody cared about them. And... So talking about it as a franchise, as much as Microsoft wants it to be a tentpole, it just isn't strong enough. It well, and even Microsoft, enough. even Microsoft realized that because they didn't really finance Crackdown Three no. until they left it to die four exactly. years after it was pretty much dead. That they said, "Hey, I guess people still really want this game. Can you make something?" <laughs> people want it because they think they want it. That's yeah. the thing. Is Crackdown One has such a warm and fuzzy place in people's heart and definitely me too because that formula is addictive and that's it though and so like if someday maybe if somebody took that basic formula and also brought in another hook to make it work well that game was infamous and it came out Mm -hmm. so like that's the thing is like the other games did so much better and so and so well that yeah crackdown's legacy question is the problem is it has none it has no it's it's done well, its legacy is the games that were created based upon right. it. Which that, is... But that's the thing. That it's based upon its lifeless corpse at this point. Right, yeah. So it's, like, incredibly influential in some ways, but, like, in other ways, it's completely throwaway and has no relevance anymore. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. Thank you, Crackdown, though. All right. So we've talked about Halo, Gears of War, Fable, Forza, and Crackdown. Crackdown. We need one more. One more. All right. What do we have? Well, <laughs> we can go <laughs> fighter, or we can go comedy, I guess. Cartoony. 
What do you want to do? This one or this one? I mean, one of those is not. I'm not one. counting. Uh, okay. Uh, so yeah, I guess we kind of have to talk about. Well, no, because neither of those are really theirs. Uh, yeah. There's okay. got to be something else. Viva Pinata. Yeah, I guess we could talk about Viva Pinata. It won't hang. Oh no! But okay, wait. Before we get into Viva Pinata, I want to just. I think we should um, talk about Connect Games. As yeah, a, it's as not its necessarily own, a franchise. No, but it is its own series in a way. Uh, because the Connect by itself was revolutionary at the time. Yeah. I mean, granted, the PlayStation I came out like two years before it. <laughs> but the Connect and its voice controls were one of the things that sold helped sell Xbox 360. Yeah. Um, but as for like major title games Nothing. for it, mm, sing, not saying Star Wars, I think of the dance one. What's the dance one? Dance Central. That's what it is. Which we actually, hmm. What? I was going to say, maybe we should actually be talking about Dance Central instead, but no, this is fine. No, just, just connect in general. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, the connect itself is a fun, unique concept. Got you moving, got you grooving. It, it was your body is the controller. Yeah, it was a way. It was, when they first announced that thing, it was like, "Holy crap! There, this is like nothing we've ever seen before." Like you, like this kind is of the future. Like the future is staring at me, and yeah, I want it. Like I feel like the reaction to the the Connect or Project Natal, like it was first called, yeah. reminded me of how people were talking after this Google announcement last week. Mm-hmm. That's the last time that, like this, that feeling that this Google stuff is giving people. The last time people felt that was with when they showed off Natal. Right. It was... And I really, we, I, like, we, following the industry as much as I do, I could pretty much say... I can say that with some, some accuracy, but, like, yeah. Yeah, like, this was the new thing. This is the new toy people wanted to get their hands on. But this the was act- revolutionary. The actual result, though, less so. Yeah. It, you didn't have all the stuff it was purported to do, and it was, like, a low-rent version of what they had showed. You could still do it, some movement, and it would still track some of it, but it wasn't very good at not it. Not necessarily the low-rent version, but the consumer version. The, yeah. We need to make this as accessible affordable. and as cheap and as affordable as possible. Yeah. And so, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's worth mention just mentioning it briefly, because, yeah. yeah, it wasn't a great thing, but it did... I don't know. It did. It was interesting toy to play around for for a little bit. Uh, it was. It, I mean, yeah. It's definitely an interesting concept that I don't think another console has gotten to the point of even wanting to try it. Well, no, because they figured out it didn't work. <laughs> That's why. Uh, okay, so I mean, most like motion controls for the Wii kind yeah. of, I want to say, bounced off that idea. And sure, the Kinect wasn't necessarily everyone's cup of tea. I mean, we came first, at to you. be fair. But, yeah. yeah. But, I don't know. It, it, yeah, I guess it's okay to mention it, but yeah, we should actually. I don't know. Do you do you have another franchise then? I mean... <sighs> I mean, in terms of, like, other stuff we talk about, like, the, the stuff at Rare with Banjo-Kazooie. It's tough, because a lot of that stuff came from other companies yeah that's a one of the problems talking about microsoft is a lot of stuff has either came came and went like i almost want to talk about mass effect because that first mass effect game was exclusive for microsoft uh, for xbox but that became a multi-platform franchise right. so we'll talk about that next time but but like yeah so like you have a lot of these situations where it's like not stuff that they owned mm-hmm. uh so yeah i think we i think we ran the gamut so do we want to wrap up what we talked about uh, and choose two? I think we can do that, but we'll start um, just knocking stuff out first. Oh, the stuff we didn't mention? Yeah, like uh, Banjo-Kazooie, um, Killer Instinct. Two rare flat, uh, properties that came from Nintendo, Yeah, <laughs> to be fair. Uh, Viva Pinata. A rare property that was Xbox-specific, but didn't, but only had two games and didn't make a huge impact. Right. Well, Conquer also had, like, two games. But also came from a Nintendo platform. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if there's <laughs> much else. It's hard. Yeah, Connect, Connect Sports. Uh, yeah, it's not a whole lot of... Like we said, Nintendo exclusive only on properties. Uh, yeah, I'm not seeing a whole lot. Yeah, of not a whole lot else. for Microsoft. No. So, yeah, let's, let's just wrap up. So we talked about... 
We talked about Halo, Gears of War, Fable, Forza, uh, Crackdown, Crackdown, and I guess Connect Games. All right. So those are our six. I think our two is easy. <laughs> okay. So I mean, let's just get one Connect off the board because yeah. it's a thing of its four years of existence. Right. And Fable and Crackdown don't hang. Right. I mean, Fable was good for what it was. People were excited about it, but there's no continuing legacy outside of They don't anything. mean anything anymore. They don't mean anything, but they did do things design-wise that influenced other games. Yeah. I mean, even like the term fable has gone back to a fairy tale fable. <laughs> no longer <laughs> are you talking about the, the game. So yeah, I, I really think this is Halo and Gears. Okay. Funny you say that because I was going to try and... Um, <laughs> Vote for a uh, motors. The problem with Forza, Forza is it's so niche. Yeah, but it's so good looking. It does it well, and, and it's consistent. It's consistent. I think consistency has to trump Gears here. I don't know because I think I think Gears is still a franchise that they hang their hat on in a way that they don't with with Forza as much. Forza is their old reliable. Gears is still their event. Like Forza, when Forza comes out, it's not an event anymore because they've annualized it. Gears is still a thing that they can put at the end of the press conference and get people hyped. And Gears and Halo are the only two things that they have for that anymore. It's the only franchises that they have to be like, this is something you can experience, you can only get here, well, and PC now. Uh, but but yeah. yeah, it's still a thing that they can, that's their showstoppers. And I think that's why it's one and two here. Well, yes, I agree. Halo, 100%. You have to have Halo. You have to have Halo. Halo is the Mario of yeah. uh, Microsoft. But as for that second slot, <laughs> as much as an influence Gears has been... It, it was. Maybe not as much as, as it was back in the 360 generation, for sure. I think, yeah, it's not, it is kind of a dinosaur design-wise now. Yeah. But we also haven't seen what 5 is going to do. We don't know whether it's going to try some things on the outside. Right, but that being said, we have seen what Forza has done, and every yeah. single time they've come out, they have pushed that console. They have created yes. something new. But they have up. created a new environment, a new experience. But it does it's not the same longer thing every time. Yeah, but it's, it's that game. You're getting that. It's like getting Madden. You know, it's like it's getting that game. You know what you're getting into. Right. That's that's what the, that's why they did Horizons. Yeah, but even that, that now has become so franchised that now that's kind of like well, they'll do some things with the seasons and do something on the side, the periphery of the games. But they're still the same driving games. I think that the the Gears is more interesting as like the things that they try to do with their multiplayer modes, with the with the evolutions that they've done with Horde and the things they've done with campaign and co op campaign. And I think they're 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 experimenting enough with it where it's like way more interesting than the Forza games are. Right, but the fact that they're experimenting with it on a constant basis, on a yearly basis, is more than we can say for Gears, which is... had those stretches between <laughs> titles. Yeah, but not long, though. Like I said, Gears has only had one game that underperformed. Judgment? Yeah, and that's it. Like, yeah, sure, the Forza games have been consistent, but... But still, people didn't really like the Forza Motorsport uh, 6, the, the one before 7, mm-hmm. uh, the, the one before the more recent one. Like, people were down on that one because of how they messed up the, the internal ecosystem. Yeah, we didn't talk about this negatives. I should have brought it up. But, but yeah, uh, there, was, there was a lull in that series as well. So it's like, I don't know. I, 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 I feel pretty solid about Gears here. I think it matters more. For what Microsoft is right now. For, uh, yes, but <laughs> past four, I don't see Gears, depending on how it turns out. Yeah, that's We're playing thing. into hypotheticals here. We don't here. know. If Gears 4, 5, whatever we're on, 4? 5, we're on 5. If Gears 5 ends up not connecting with people like they want it to, and it's just kind of like the one that kills it. <laughs> Whereas I still see Forza being their constant basis like you said, that one of their jewels, one of it their, their is, crown. But what I think Gears and Halo are too. So I think we have a good top three here, but we need to <laughs> knock Forza off. Uh, what Gears off here? Sorry, no. All right. <laughs> okay. What's gonna be? 
Well, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to give it to Gears. We have to. I know. <laughs> All right. All right. I Got guess. It. Okay, I guess that's going to be it. All then. right. So, quick recap before we wrap up uh, this podcast. Let's talk about uh, the two the, the standing so far. So, in my in Nintendo, we opened up my uh, choosing. What was it? Mario and, and Pokemon. Pokemon. So we got Mario and Pokemon are your uh, entries into Nintendo. For Sony, we ended up with God of War, God of War, and Ratchet and Clank. Ratchet and Clank, and then Microsofts are now Halo and Gears of War. Oof. There's some pretty good games. There's some really good games in there, <laughs> but of course the the hardest one is to come next time. We have to talk about multi-platform releases, and I don't know how the hell we're gonna get it down to six. I don't. We know. actually probably should do that pre because there's no way we can. We can do that on the show, or else it'll be three hours long. Yeah, well, because there's <laughs> definitely a bunch of franchises. I think we should. Uh, yeah, we're gonna talk about this off podcast yeah, about, about how how which we ones we want to bring to the table. Yeah, because we can't be talking we about one franchise for 15 minutes because yeah. that's gonna be a, like you said a three hour podcast. So yeah, uh, so that will do it for this edition of our special March Madness video game bracket uh, for the Media Boat Podcast. We never said this was the Media Boat Podcast. I don't believe we did say this was Media Boat Podcast. But if, you, but if you did find us, you found <laughs> hey. us through Media Boat Podcast. So yeah, so you knew that already. But yeah, we'll be back next time to talk about multi-platform. Um, this will be up uh, already if you uh, are listening this late. So uh, check this out next or wait until next week and we'll be back with multi-platform. Yeah, or you can go back and check out Sony and, and Sony. Sony right now. All right. We'll see you next time. Okay, bye. Bye.